Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Sachs' Essay Today podcast. My name is Michelle Botcher, and I'm an associate professor at Clemson University. I'm also your host for this program. Today, we will be discussing the first 20 years of Sachs' history with our guest, Dr. B.J. Mann. B.J., welcome to the podcast, and thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate, again, y'all inviting me to, to do this. Like I said earlier, when Tony, Tony received, uh, sent me the email that he sent me, I was just like, oh my gosh, what a, a blast from the past, which was wonderful. And so I was like, of course, I would absolutely love to do that. You know, it's, I think that's the wonderful thing about Saxa is that me seeing his name come up in my email and going, oh, that flood of memories coming back because, you know, it's that connection to the that that they have because it's like, okay, Tony, how did you get my information? Which is really cool. Which you know, I had been talking for many many um, months with Paul Yar, so I'm like, did he did he talk to Paul? And and then it was like, no, Sharon Manson reached out to me, and she was like, hey. Melanie reached, Melanie McClellan reached out to me and wanted your information and wanted to get it to Tony. So you just, you know, that within Saxa, that if you can't find somebody, there's somebody else that's going to be able to find them and locate them, which I, I just think is the coolest thing. Cause it's been approximately eight years since my last Saxa. I'm trying to remember if it was in 2012 or 2013. So you know, you're going to find the people that you need to find. Right. Well, it's in so Birmingham. I was going to say it's in Birmingham this fall. If you want to come back, you know. You oh, know my gosh. Them, so. oh, that is uh, Birmingham. Birmingham was one of the very first Saxes that I went to a, as a graduate student in my master's program. And I remember us going there all together. And that's, you know, Mississippi State would have the lunch, or not luncheon, but kind of um, uh, get together. And, and we'd have this one hotel room and everybody would get in there. And, but yeah, that, see, just you saying that has just triggered these memories. <laughs> Which are just wonderful, wonderful memories. Well, and that's that would be cool. Yeah, I was going to say that's the purpose of the podcast is kind of to trigger memories and capture some of that because where we are now, it all builds on where we've been in the past. So exactly. um, Well, also joining us today is Dr. Kristen Walker Donnelly. Um, First of all, Kristen, congratulations on becoming the new Saxa historian. Um, I know Tony Cawthon did the outreach for this episode, and he's transitioned into his new role, and you've transitioned into his former role, but just so glad that you could join us today. My goodness, I am so honored to be here, and there are huge shoes to fill in the in the historic land of Saxa and the folks that have been instrumental in documenting this amazing and really unique regional association's history. So I am just honored to be part of the the conversation and right along with our our listeners, learn as much as possible. Wonderful. Well, and BJ, you were saying right before we started that you actually not only sort of immersed yourself in the history through your dissertation, but you're a former historian for Saxa as well. Yes, um, I, I I had two different um, times that I served as Saxa, as I shared with y'all kind of off, <laughs> off the podcast side of things, is that, I, you know, I had to go back and look at my records so that I could remember all this. And my first 
um, period of time was between 2002 and 2007. I served as a historian and then became the historian again from 2010 to 2013. And so, you know, it's it, it's amazing how that time just flew by. And I had actually gotten the um, archives when I was asked to be the historian. I was at the University of North Alabama as the, their director of housing and residence life. And it was Rita Moser who was the historian at that time. And so my husband and I drove from Alabama to Florida to go pick up all the archives. And I can still remember us going into Rita's office and, you know, of course, reminiscing and talking with her. It was so good to see her. And then she goes to this, uh, takes us to this other room where there's this boxes upon boxes. And I'm like, Ooh, are we going to be able to fit all this <laughs> in this little car that we rented? <laughs> we did, we did, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, yeah. Good. Good, good memories, and and just that period of time, it it um, was definitely a, a a blessing, and I loved every single minute of it. Awesome. Well, we'll talk about work. I mean, we'll get there and talk about that. But I always like to start and talk about who are you outside of your work. So, if you would each not mind, that did not sound grammatically correct. If you would each, please, I'll do it that way, um, <laughs> just share a little bit about yourselves in terms of who you are outside of work. So hobbies, things you're reading, watching, listening to, whatever you want to share. And BJ, if you don't mind starting, that would be great. Well, I, I know that you're, you said outside of work. So I'm going to just tweak it a little bit because I, you'll see at the very end what I share at the very end is that, um, you know, I've spent the majority of my career in education in student affairs and uh, done that for many years. But since 2013, that's not what I've been doing. I've done some teaching, teaching research, and so staying connected with the college students. But while this is my work, this is something that I'm building on is our, our family business, which is publishing, which is um, the first division is comic books and graphic novels. So, you know, for a long time, my husband was able to be a big kid. He's still a big kid. And then I got to join into that. <laughs> so that's, that's been where, you know, I've just never been one for hobbies. So, you know, as far as trying to pick something that I do, I just uh, love to immerse myself in those things that I've become very passionate about. And that passion lasts a long time. So I would say just learning, you know, how to be an entrepreneur, uh, attending sessions and seminars and things like that regarding publishing and comic books. And so if I were to have a hobby, it would be that kind of thing. And then um, as far as, you know, reading books, <laughs> you know, during my student affairs time, my luxury or casual or enjoyment reading was all about student affairs. I mean, that's, I just loved it. I loved reading the new information that came out and the journal articles. That's something that I loved. And, and when I left, um, 
I left my job so I could focus on getting my dissertation done because I was loving my job so much (laughs) that it wasn't happening. I had taken up all of my extensions that I could apply for and I had to get it done. So my very first book was um, recommended to me by a a colleague um, that was from a, a vendor, a furniture vendor that I had utilized in new housing. And it was Dream Giver by, by Bruce Wilkinson. And so that, I have to say, was my very first leisurely reading of a book in a very, very long time. And so after that, you know, I started dabbling a little bit because um, just just because because I enjoyed it so much. And I have to say, probably I'm a big fan, not of all of his books, but I'm a really big fan of a, a good number of his books, Ted Decker. Um, he has some that are very suspenseful, um, some that are psychological, which those are the ones I don't really care for, but very the ones that are suspenseful or have um, some mystery behind it. I, I like that. I like that a lot. And what I'm doing right now is... I'm actually doing a a devotional um, spiritual 30 day boot camp. So that's what I'm currently doing. So there you go. Awesome. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Kristen, what about you? AJ, thanks for making me feel better that I don't feel like I have hobbies. (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny because my husband and I talk about that um, a little bit. But um, again, you know, hello, everyone. Um, I serve as the director of assessment uh, by day for the Division of Student Affairs at at Clemson University um, in South Carolina, and also have the honor of leading our graduate assistant recruitment and selection process. So for any of our program alumni and staff out there, CU GARS is alive and well, and um, I get the honor to work with Michelle and the other faculty and some other folks in the division on that. This was the first year, and that was a lot of fun. That ended up being a hobby I didn't realize I was going to have. Um, and also um, serve every now and then as the faculty need me as the visiting uh, visiting professor for the program. So um, this past semester had a lot of fun with some first year students with assessment. I've done research. Um, and taught with some of the other faculty co-teaching the issues class um, when needed and some of the uh, field experience courses. So teaching again was the hobby. I had a student, um, I taught high school for seven years that said like, Miss Walker, you can never leave. You you can't get married. And I was like, I'm I'm sorry, why? And she's like, because it'll take time away from us. And I was like, okay, if that's what you need to know, you're too sort of air quotes, too invested in your career and doing all the student affairs things at the high school you work for. That was a good wake up call. (laughs) So I think that's why I don't have a lot of hobbies, even though growing up, I love dance and uh, watching sports with uh, family members and even cooking uh, with my uncles and and learning some of my mom's recipes. So I think some of that cooking is translated into adulthood. Um, as well as some home improvement. Let me be clear. I watch, I don't do. So um, my house is going under re- a renovation right now. So finally, all the years of HGTV and Food Network are coming into play, but from the from the sidelines um, and everything. So um, I would say from a hobby perspective, that's probably where it is because um, BJ, like you, I do a lot of reading. Um, with work, I've been asked to um, help lead for the moment some well-being work 
And we know that mental health is a huge topic right now in our space and just globally everything, but especially in higher ed and, and a lot of our students and, and faculty and staff are struggling in this area. And while I know that at an elevator pitch level, you know, that surface level, needing to dig down and deep dive into that and do a lot of reading and read some studies and all of that. But that thirst, I think that you described, um, I can, that definitely resonates uh, with me. So, but other stuff I'm leading. Uh, listening to in Washington um, is uh, Student Affairs Now, another podcast that just recently celebrated its first year. Um, phenomenal. Um, and you can watch it or you can listen to it. Um, and the topics and whatnot are arranged by the ACPA NASPA competencies. So whether it's just for you and your own thirst or you're trying to look for some stuff for professional development for yourself or colleagues, I think that's really helpful. Um, and hopefully diving into a piece of chick lit. So real high tech, real technical and, and meaningful in all the ways. Um, this summer, I've had a couple books go collecting dust on the bookshelf. So hopefully we'll dig out one of those while we sit by the pool a little bit this summer. Wonderful. Well, one question I have, and then I'll ask you to talk about how did you each get to what you're doing now and what did your journey through student affairs look like? But one thing that I, I'd love for you to speak to, um, we talk all the time about how small student affairs is and everyone knows everyone, or if you don't know someone, you know somebody who knows them. And BJ, you even alluded to this in terms of how in the world did Tony Cawthon track me down, you know, earlier. So <laughs> would each of you talk about, you know, it could be one person, it could be a few people, who really have been instrumental um, in your experience, especially related to student affairs. Because again, I think that helps make that community feel that much more um, connected because you're gonna say some names and somebody out there listening is gonna go, oh yeah, I know that person too. So, um, and whichever of you would like to start, but again, just, people who've been important to you in your experience working in higher ed? Well, I love this question. I, I absolutely love it. And again, y'all have just ignited a flood of, <laughs> of memories. Wonderful, wonderful memories. So I'm actually going to name several, several people because just the journey that I've been on, my, my very, very first experience was when I went to Hines Community College in Raymond, Mississippi, and the director of housing who gave me my first job as an RA had no clue what an RA was, but had been there for a semester, saw what they were doing. I was like, oh, I want to do that. <laughs> and that was Rick Hartfield. I know that he's, he's retired now, but um, Rick, I continue to stay in contact with him. I'm still in contact with him to this day, but that's undergraduate school. And then I transferred to the University of Southern Mississippi. And the requirement was that you had to be on campus a semester before you could apply to be an RA. And so that's what I did. And Alice Funderburk, who is retired, um, she gave me my first job at the University of Southern Mississippi, and, and that was being an RA, and I also was, uh, she ran the conference housing stuff, and so um, I was a part of that under her leadership, too, and the director at the time was Bob Kivitz, who is now in New York. I'm not sure if Bob has uh, retired or not, but Bob Kivitz was 
the director and an area coordinator who wasn't my area coordinator, but I just absolutely loved him and love his energy. Just love it. And as soon as I talk about him, you're going to you're going to know this person does not forget a name. I so wish I have that had that gift and that talent. This is Brett Katz. He was my, not my area coordinator, but an area coordinator while I was serving as an RA. And so, you know, that was my undergraduate. And I graduated, worked at um, a small private school, William Carey. And as we were recruiting, and I was a recruiter, and as we were out on the road, I met two graduate students, Don Powell Wu and Devell Walters. And they told me about this graduate program where you could do all the stuff that I love doing as an RA. I at times would even say, I wish I could do this job full time. <laughs> and I just wouldn't worry about class, but I knew that I had to graduate, <laughs> but I had no clue that there, even though these people worked around me and I was close to all of these professional people, it just did not click for me that they're doing this job. I would love to do this job until I met these two other individuals out on the road traveling. And when they told me that you could get a master's and have, you know, a career in this industry, I was like, and so immediately I apply, we all end up being in the same cohort together at Mississippi State University. And that's where, um, and I, I have to list all these names because these are wonderful, wonderful people. And I'm going to probably miss somebody, but Ed Grandpre was there. He was, I think at the time, the associate director and Melly McClellan was the director and Tom Pilgreen, who I know is still in the field. And then the faculty were Gene Tice, Harold Holmes, uh, it's not Harold Holmes, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of Harold Holmes with Saxa, but Harold Hall, um, Bill Foster and Roy Ruby those were our faculty and heavily involved in student affairs and many in SACSA. Brenda Richardson, who was with the Holmes Cultural Diversity uh, Department, and she's actually the one that gave me my first um, work to do with SACSA as a um, typing up the, she was the program I can't remember the title back then, but the program coordinator for SACSA, uh, and she had me typing in the program booklet for her as a graduate student. And so I had done that for the, the first time, and that was exciting. Katrina Dorsey, Sharon Manson. I mean, just there's so, so, so many of them. And just in my cohort, several of them are out of student affairs now, but as I mentioned, Dawn and Devell. Um, Pat Dixon, who worked uh, at Arkansas State University, dear, dear friend um, that passed away a couple of years ago. Joycelyn Washington, who is still in higher ed. Doug Hollenbeck. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dougie. <laughs> um, Stacy Campbell. I mean, just, just so, so, so many people. And then you know, you experience all that and my experience just going through all that. And then the person that really was, I, I believe, extreme, that was, you know, undergraduate, graduate school, but in the field, because they all set me up for success being in my full-time jobs is the person that actually 
believed in me and saw the potential in me was Tom Lovett. And he was the vice president of student affairs and the university council at the time. And he had seen me a few years back um, presenting at a SACSA conference and was impressed with it because I was talking about the Northridge earthquake because I had worked at Cal State Northridge and was one of two professionals to evacuate and do everything um, after the earthquake. And he said he was impressed with that. And I applied for the director of housing and residence life. And he honored me by offering me the job. And I just learned and grew so much from that position. Um, it was a, it was a really really uh, a blessing. But you know, in student affairs, you just me naming all those people. I could probably name dozens and dozens more that you build lifelong friendships. You know, you meet people at Saxa that you don't have those connections in school or job related wise. I mean, uh, and you know, I have those friends that every single Saxa, we would make sure we got together and we talked and we spent at least 30 minutes or an hour together just catching up and you're, you develop mentorships and people that you look up to. And it's just, um, if you've never experienced that, and I would encourage, especially if there's new professionals, young professionals in the field, is that go out and be active and involved in the association, do the new professionals um, programs that they have going on, get connected because when you look back 20 years from now, you're gonna say, wow, that brought so much joy to my life, not only career-wise, but personally. And you'll have those people that you can connect with and reconnect with over the years. So I know that was long, but it's just, it, it got me excited when I, when I saw that question that you were going to be asking. So yeah, pretty cool stuff. Well, thank you. And there's, there's no band to cut you off on this show. So um, <laughs> because we want to hear the names, you know, it, it really, um, it's exciting to hear those connections. So did you say that Tom Lovett was, University Council and VPSA? Yes. Was that at the same time? At the same time. Wow. Yeah. And he's now teaching. He's still there, but he's teaching in the business program. But yeah. And that was a really cool position to be in. Um, me being supervised directly by him, not just being the, the vice president of student affairs, but the university council part. He really ignited um excitement in me when it came to legal issues. And I really, really dove into that, whether that was student conduct or, you know, having to deal with um, contracts and contractors. Because when I was there, I was the one that led the first new housing since the 1960s and doing, I did everything, you know, the research and doing the, um, uh, requests for proposals and all that. And he guided and directed me and taught me. And it was just an amazing experience. I gained so much knowledge, um, so many additional skills. And 
it, it was just cool. It was absolutely cool. And we still stay in contact to this day. And so, you know, I, I'm sure that I'm a broken record for him, but I can't help but tell him every single time that we talk or we email each other that I appreciate you. I appreciate what you did. Thank you for hiring me and giving me that opportunity because it was a huge blessing. That's great. Kristen, how about you? Who've been some influential players who maybe still are your go-to people? What's your story? Absolutely. So um, I mentioned that I taught high school for seven years. So the original plan was to be a high school guidance counselor. And at the time, talking to different graduate programs, they're like, you need at least three to five years in the classroom before we'll even consider you. Well, fast forward to now, not so much. They'll, they'll take you right away. And with, and with pros and cons on each side of that approach. But I started, um, you know, getting some of that experience. And I, and I worked at the school that I graduated from because it was more than just school. The teachers knew us in the classroom for better, or for worse and outside. So like, if that wasn't your jam of a subject, like they got to see you in, an, in another way. So without having the, the terms and the vocabulary, it was very student affairsy. They, they helped do the musicals and they were the coaches of the sports teams and, and all the things they were your everything as well as a I'm stressed. And I can tell you, Mr. Carter, ninth grade, he had bubbles in his classroom and that students knew that if we had a stressful day, we could just kind of, you know, unwind a bit and, and kind of get back to, to our center and whatnot. So it was really cool to kind of do that with the students I got to teach and, um, and, and see them in different ways and engage our campus community. Um, but while I was doing that, um, I joined a sorority in college and um, was a what was called at the time a district president. A lot of fraternities and sororities have traveling consultants where it's their full time job to travel to different campuses. But mine, I got a, a cluster of them in different parts of the country and would go visit with them, uh, work on programming, individual leadership skills, but also collective things and, and everything. So I'd pack up my classroom on Friday, grab my papers, whatever I needed to grade, hop on a flight, go work with college students and be back in time for Monday morning. And my students would be like, where, where were you in the country <laughs> this weekend, Miss Walker? So um, it was really cool because I, I mean, to date, I've been to, I think, over 30 different college campuses and have worked with students on those campuses, not just, you know, punch the ticket and OK, I walked on the campus. Um, but it was in doing that and then coming around the recession and being in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, where that hit our area very, very hard and going, I don't know if our, our, our school will make it financially um, with everything. And I had two folks, um, Chris Covington, who was from my collegiate chapter, but one of our national presidents, um, and David Stolman, who was one of the co-founders of Campus Speak. So a lot of our campuses hire different speakers from Campus Speak. Um, and he did a lot of work in the fraternity sorority area. And then Campus Speak grew to be a little bit more holistic in terms of their offerings and such. But they encouraged me to apply for grad school. So at almost 30 years old, I left the Washington, D.C. area and packed up and went to what I thought was the middle of nowhere, South Carolina, where I knew basically nobody and wondered, did I make the best or worst decision of my life? And it's turned out to be the best, but because of just that, the guts from my former students where I kind of got to go to college with them and, and some mentors 
um, that just said, it's okay to take a risk. It's okay to do something different. And cause that just wasn't as much of a thing um, in, in the circles that I was with. So that was really big. And then BJ, to your point, it's like six degrees, not only of student affairs, but of SACSA um, in terms of like people being able to track down and whatnot. I got to see that at my first um, SACSA conference. And um, I would say my, my South Carolina parents became Pam Havis and Tony Coffin, mm-hmm. um, and they encouraged me to go. And I was even like, should I put in a presentation topic? And so they were very encouraging, but to go to your first SACSA and see, I don't know who I would call like three power women of SACSA of Ellen Newfeld, Joel Davis Carter, and Jane Adams Dumford, like at the front of the, the whatever ballroom we were in and whatever city we were in and just being in awe of their passion for the organization and the field was really, really inspiring. Um, Cause at the time I thought I just wanted to focus on fraternity sorority life. And I ended up getting assist, an assistantship in career services. So my, my bubble of student affairs was starting to grow and just see these powerhouse women that I knew existed in my sorority life, if you will, but then see them in a different field and whatnot was just so cool. Um, and then being able to, to have folks like um, Jason Cassidy, Jason Umfress, Bo Seagraves, you know, a, a lot of those folks where like Jason gave me, um, he helped craft an assessment internship at Furman for me that, um, well, now assessment is the full-time gig, you know, and I didn't just do it in the career center at Clemson for years, but found a passion for that there, but somebody willing to take a chance on you um, and, and kind of craft an experience, I think was, is just a nature of our field. And that if you can put some words to what you think you might want to learn and meet it with the opportunity of, Hey, I think you can make a difference. Like, you know, that's, that's really, really powerful. But then folks that you might only see once a year at Saxa or, you know, wherever it is, and it's okay. It's not like the friend that gets upset with you that you didn't call every week or text <laughs> yeah. and, you know, all of that. Like it's, it's just, it's what we do. We reconnect at different perfect and time can go by. And you know, mm-hmm. if you still need to debrief something in confidence or need advice about a career change or, Hey, I'm looking for this type of, of thing, be it whatever it is, you just have this wide community um, that is is ready and willing to help that I think is really what sets SACSA apart in a lot of ways. I, I call it like, it's the, like the Goldilocks and the three bears. It's not too small. It's not too big. It's just right. And I think it gives you that sense of community and all it does take is a one and one in here and your, your world explodes. But then you've got folks like, you know, you all have mentioned like Melanie, I always try whenever I go to Saxa to leave like one of the open meals open, like don't schedule a date, let it happen organically. And this past Saxa, Melanie was my uh, organic lunch date um, and had the best conversation. And then of course, like historian and learned all sorts of stuff from her. And we're going to be connecting with Tony on what is in the archives that BJ y'all brought, you know, into Florida and then are now up at Bowling Green and Mm -hmm. figuring out what does that mean for the future of Saxa? And just go, when I went to Norfolk, that wasn't on the agenda. So just the, the opportunities that come about with our organization, I, I think are just really great, but um, just more holistically, I think you're spot on BJ that to be 
open to opportunities and the happenstance that comes along and you just never know. So if you're willing to um, put yourself out there a bit and, and meet a new colleague and engage in conversation. And if you're back at, you know, when we were in person at conferences, not just be in your phone when, mm -hmm. when you go in and sit down at a session, but introduce yourself to the person next to you or Sachs is the type of place that whoever gave the keynote or whoever introduced somebody at the conference, go up to them and say hello, because they're going to be willing to engage, not just do the obligatory handshake and thank you. And that's nice. So the, the Saxa family is real and I think it can afford us a lot. Exactly. And just, you know, to go off of that just a little bit is that not being shy to actually do that handshake, because I can remember as a graduate student, Don Gehring was doing a presentation and I'm like, I'm reading your book. I'm, <laughs> can I go up? Can I say something to you? Can well, I introduce, right? <laughs> oh my gosh, big time. <laughs> and I did. And it was just, he was so pleasant and so kind and thoughtful and took time with me. And after that, I could say hi to him anytime. And so it is, it's just making jumping outside that box and making those connections and introducing yourself because you're going to regret it if you don't. Well, excellent job setting up. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about the history of this great organization. So thank you both for that. Um, you know, I'm just going to kind of jump in and then Kristen and I will play off of each other Um and Kristen, you've been involved, like you said, and um, mentored into the organization through some really wonderful people. So feel free to add at any point as well. Um, but why don't we just kind of get you started with, you know, you've talked a little bit about your career, P uh, BJ, and how you found yourself into and through student affairs a little bit. If there's more you want to add about your career tra trajectory, feel free. Um, but at some point you decided, okay, this PhD thing, you know, I guess I'll do that. <laughs> and then at some point you decided, and here's the little paper I'm going to write as a part of that process. So just a little paper. Yeah, just just that little paper. Um, did you, you know, kind of when you got to that point, did you know going in, this is what I'll do my dissertation on? Or how did that sort of emerge for you? So I think I've just asked you about 14 different questions. You can answer <laughs> whichever ones you want to. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, you know, it, it all started because I had, you know, worked my way, got my master's, um, thought I was going to be in the Southeast. And my husband got this wonderful, wonderful job offer in on the West Coast. I mean, completely opposite directions. I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be so cool. I'm going to be with my friends and my former, you know, my colleagues, my the graduate students I was with, and we're going to have jobs in the Southeast, maybe at the same colleges. And it's like, no, I'm going to the West Coast. I'm leaving far away. And so, you know, we did that and we're there for um, four and a half years, something like that. And I was having a desire to, we, we both were, cause we had had our first child. Um, and so we were really far away from family. And so that was a huge part of our, um, decision of looking at relocating back to the Southeast. And, 
Ed Grand Prix had known that. He knew that that was my heart's desire. And one day he called me up and he said, hey, BJ, I know that this is what you want to do. I have this position. It's a lateral move, but I will support you 100% working on your PhD full time. I mean... (laughs) That was that was like a no brainer there. You know, Um, first, I absolutely loved my experience and in the graduate program and in the department and the division when I was there at Mississippi State. And so talking it over with my husband, it was like, yeah, let's do this. And so that's what got me back into looking at seeking out a Ph.D. And I was still a little bit hesitant. So what I did when we first moved out there, I signed up for one class and I just kind of wanted to dip my toes into it to see if this was really what I wanted to do. Um, Because I had said after my master's program, I'm like, I am not interested in taking any more tests. I am tested out, especially after having comps. I'm tested out. I mean, even when we moved to California, (laughs) had to go to the DMV, they were making me take a written test. I'm like, what? <laughs> You're stressing me out here. <laughs> Granted, I have to say, and this is for the benefit of my husband, if he listens to this, is that I made a 98, which was higher than his score. So, <laughs> But, you know, so I took that one class um, under Vincent McGrath, which was a faculty, he's a faculty member in, he was at the time, the education department, absolutely amazing individual and was um, my, one of my main mentors um, getting me through the program and loved it, loved it, loved it. So I basically got all my coursework done within two years. There were a couple of classes that I had to, to take one because I took another job. That's when I went to North Alabama Um, but, you know, as far as the dissertation, when, you know, I had all these people giving me advice and it was very sound advice, um, regarding the dissertation, it's like whatever classes you're in and the papers that you are doing, try to do that towards your topic of what you're wanting to do. Now that is such wise advice. However, That didn't work so well for me because I'm thinking, okay, you know, one sax I have, and I, and I share this in my dissertation, um, one saxa where Garth Jenkins, who did his dissertation on saxa, mm-hmm. and I had Ken Lott and Richard Greer come up to me and say, hey, BJ, we think you need to do your dissertation on saxa and just follow up from where Garth had left off. And I thought, oh, that would be so much fun. You know, I was so excited. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And, you know, I go to my committee and my committee challenges me because it is just purely history and it's going in and it's documenting history this time, this time, this time. And they're, they're like, you can do more BJ. And I'm like, but this is so exciting. You can do more PJ. So they challenged me. And then the next was, and this is all me going through classes and trying to figure things out while I'm still, you know, working on the whole dissertation side of things. Cause I really, really want to make sure it's somehow connected to Saxa because that's what was exciting me. And so 
Then I started looking at women in higher ed. Mm. And I was doing research on that because I was putting a proposal together to do women in higher ed because my minor was in women's um, history. And so I thought that would be a good connection. And so as I present the proposal to them, to my committee, they come back and they're like, BJ, you can do more. We want to challenge you. There's, you, you really need to just hone in on something because there is a lot of information out there about women in higher ed, but you, you need to do something. We just know that there's something else for you that you need to be focusing on. And it's just like, after a while, you're thinking, <laughs> I just want to come up with a topic so I could start doing my research and get this done. <laughs> and so I am so grateful that they pushed me and pushed me. And my advisor, Tom Hosey, he, if you've ever met Tom, he is just such a, a gentle individual, just in his tone of voice, his mannerisms and everything. But yet at the same time, he is like your biggest cheerleader. And he's like, BJ, we know that you've got this. And so that's where I just really started spending more quality time just processing and thinking about things. What is it ultimately where we are in this time and age that would be beneficial for SAXA, because that was my goal and my priority is that I wanted to do something that would be beneficial for an association that I loved so very much. Um, and that's when it came about the whole, we started going, you know, you've got your emails, you've got the internet, you've got websites, the whole digital thing. How are we preserving our history when it comes to those kinds of formats, those kinds of platforms, uh, because I, when I got the, the archives, I dove into those. I mean, with my, my dissertation, I read every single document, every single letter, which, oh my gosh, if you can get into that and read some of those letters, it's amazing. It is the coolest thing ever. And just diving into all that. And it's like, look at this wealth of information. You know, I go through and I, I brought it up on the screen, but you know, you've you've got the very first conference report, you've got, you know, the conference registrations, you've got um, letters, personal letters, that that's how they communicated versus emails, is that writing and doing duplicate and, and all that kind of stuff. And I don't want that to be lost. And so combining that in with the goals and the objectives of the association, how are those being um, followed through and evaluated and making sure that the membership, it, it's kind of like just a full circle of, of, you know, preserving the history, but sharing that with the association and them being confident and knowing that we're preserving it and the goals and of the objective objections, sorry, um, objectives of the association and the communication, how is that happening or is that happening? And so then that's where the, you know, coming right down to the development of Southern Association for College Student Affairs, setting a new course for success. And, you know, that was how it was, is how do you preserve our history now in this day and time that 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 we're in because 
you know, while we, you know, the association officers um, had elected to no longer have the historian physically keep the documents and all of because it was a lot of boxes. And then I was also working to preserve them and put the, you know, like the photographs and putting them in specialized paper and putting the, the files in specialized containers to preserve them so they wouldn't break down. And, um, you know, what do you, what does the historian do? And, you know, that was us then going and um, Cheryl Bird and I went to Bowling Green and actually met with Ann Bowers and talked with her toward the facility. And um, then we ultimately got the, the documents to them. But so, yeah, that's how the, the dissertation um, topic and <laughs> everything went through and, and I was very happy. <laughs> And then the rewrites after rewrite after rewrite after rewrite. Yeah, it's like, woo! As soon as I got the sign off on that and presented it, and and I did it in in creative fashion because it was about the digital era and how do you preserve and everything. I actually created a website, and that's how I presented it to my committee. Was just going from web, you know, the page to this to that, creating a whole website on it, and. And so, yeah, that was, boy, y'all brought some back some memories. <laughs> <laughs> some uh, maybe tension-filled memories about some of those conversations <laughs> with your committee too. So, you well, know. they were very all gracious and very right, patient, right. but it was just like. <gasps> yeah. Sometimes we just want a yes, even when that may not yes. be the best thing. So, <laughs> well, when I was looking through your dissertation, there's a part that really jumped out to me because, you know, you think about everything that we've been talking about related to the value of the organization. Um, and you wrote about Stanley Jones, who as a graduate student sends out these 50 postcards. And the sentence that jumped out to me was one man's idea nourished by an expenditure of a dollar and 50 cents has paid a hundredfold time and time again in a short span of 15 years. And, and of course now exp um, exponentially out from that. Um, yes. But that, I mean, I read- I'm getting it. chill bumps. Yeah, yeah. When graduate students get frustrated about what kind of a difference can I make and I get it. I mean, it's hard to change systems at institutions. But here's somebody who was thinking creatively, saw the particular needs of the region and was like, well, let's, let's get started and kind of do something about it. So um, I just, and that certainly is not the only line. I have like pages of notes that we don't have time for, for this conversation, but that one in particular, when yeah. you look at the impact of this organization, and it's not just within the region, because people, like you said, you were on the West Coast for a while, people go other places, but they take those relationships with them. Um, exactly. So, you know, you talked about being historian, what other, and I'd really be interested in, like before during and after the dissertation, what other positions 
did you hold in Saxa? Um, you talked a little bit about how you got started in it, but kind of what what different roles have you had a chance to play? Oh, so many. I dove into Saxa, but you know that was something that was encouraged by uh, those. You know, and as a graduate student, you kind of picked. I think our first year it was just diving into, you know, the housing associations, the student affairs associations, any other, you know, um, uh, primary focus, whether like fraternity sororities or, you know, um, intramurals or whatever areas that were uh, most interesting to you or that you were really, really passionate about, we were encouraged to go to those conferences and, and supported to do that. So I had done that. And just to kind of get an idea of where I felt like I was connecting more and Saxa was it. And that's, I can still remember when Gene Tice was the president and all of us from Mississippi State that were around these multiple tables, we're getting up there and we're, you know, cheering on. We've got some dogs up in here, or <laughs> you know, it was just, it was exciting. It was fun just being around that environment and seeing all of that and the people connecting. And so that was what I picked. I picked to focus all my energy on Saxa. And that, that's what I did, you know, because even just being an, um, a graduate student, not even a new professional yet, but a graduate student, um, you know, I even just the, the everything that I saw with that first conference, you know, I shared with my my friends, my fellow graduate students, you know, with Dr. Tice up there, I said, I, I'm going to I'm going to be president one day. Haven't made that. Had a couple offers, but in my season of my lifetime, I just couldn't do it. But I ran, I ran. So, you know, it's, um, I think the first time was in, uh, she probably shouldn't give any years, but maybe I won't <laughs> age myself, <laughs> but it was the program booklet with, you know, Dr. Brenda Richardson. And as a graduate student, I started doing that. I, on the program committee, I was the committee, I was a committee member for several years. I was the evaluations chairperson for two years. Uh, I was a conference program chair when Pam Moon was the president. Loved, loved, loved that experience. And by the way, we, we, uh, I was expecting our little boy and he was trying to come really, really early. So they put me on bed rest. My husband set me up with a conference phone in our bedroom and everything around me so I could do saxophone business and have saxophone calls. So <laughs> I was your time. Who needs Zoom when you have that? <laughs> oh, you should have seen. I wish we would have taken pictures, but <laughs> so sorry, guys. But I only had bathroom privileges so it was just all set up in the bedroom <laughs> and and that's what I did I you know I, it was it kept me busy it was wonderful um I was able to attend and be there and run around and bring my family and just show them what I did and and so that was really cool but even in the earlier days um I with um Paul Baird who had ran SACSA placement services for many years. I was involved with that. 
Um, I actually created and maintained the first SACSA jobs online, created it and everything. I was a committee member. I was uh, on the new professionals committee for several years, and I was a mentor for several years. I was a committee member for the recognition and awards committee. I coordinated and presented the publication awards one year, and I served as a reviewer for uh, a few years for the journal, actually more than a few years, several years. <laughs> and then I was um, guest editor uh, when my dissertation had come out to do one that was on a historical per perspective. I was um, a part of the foundation for uh, many years. Um, I was the secretary, the treasurer. I was the vice president for professional development for three years. So yeah, I did a lot <laughs> and I had fun doing it. And you know, the other thing is, is I couldn't have done all that stuff if I hadn't had other Saxon members that believed in me and saw my passion and encouraged that and cheered me on. So yeah, it, it, it's I've done a lot and, and absolutely loved every single second of it. When you think did I answer all of that question? I think you did. <laughs> yeah, I think you did. <laughs> when you think about your dissertation, what were either when you wrote it or perhaps when you reread it? maybe re more recently, what are <laughs> yeah. some things that really stood out to you as either surprising or affirming really powerful kinds of moments of revelation or realization that you had in the process of doing the work? Um, wow. You know, just rereading it and and y'all I have a flash drive with I saved everything and I still do this time. and I even have printed out material that I've saved in boxes and so it has been a while since I, I looked at it but when I did go back and kind of revisit it you know there are certain things that stood out you know like you know Stanley with the the quote that that you you shared you know is that that was huge that started everything that just started the ball rolling um you know for me it's it would be interesting for me I think looking back on it not necessarily that a whole lot stood out to me because I you know it just brought back more memories it brought brought back the memories of the focus groups and the traveling that I did. It brought back um, uh, the Saxa Foundation being so gracious and, and just supporting me. They're the ones that funded this. They, they, they funded my research. They funded um, me doing the interviews and traveling and stuff. And y'all, the first time that I went when I was ready to start the focus groups, people weren't coming, people weren't participating. And I was like, wow, why, you know, we had done it in the program booklet, all these things. And so that made it, it be a little bit longer for me to graduate and finish this paper. And so, but again, I just believe that timing is everything and you learn and you grow from those challenges. And so when I did it again, that's when 
you know, the president of the association was, you know, saying, all right, you're going to go to MPI, MMI. This is what you're, you know, they, they, people huddled around me and said, we're going to help you. This is what we're going to do. And so then things, the domino pieces started coming together and, um, you know, meeting with those groups and just reminiscing about hearing the passion in their voice. And I'm more of a qualitative kind of person. I like the numbers too, but I like seeing those themes start popping up and having those conversations because you get to me, you get so much more even so out of it versus just looking at purely the the numbers or just purely looking at surveys. Because I did, you know, surveys too of the association. and, And I think, you know, Right now, it would be interesting to know, you know, what has been done, um, how much has been done, has, you know, any, because I did all that work and I did it for the benefit of the association. Um, It would be, it would just be interesting to see where we are now, you know, how, if it's been utilized, how it's been utilized. Because uh, you do, you know, the work that you do, you 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 put a lot into it, and then, you know, just as life happens, I've just not been in the field for many years, and so I I'm not connected, so I don't see it, I don't hear it, that kind of thing. So, so not necessarily so much that's popped out of the the book for me, but other than just I'd love to know where things are. So uh, an observation. Yeah, I think that's go really, go for it. Chris. I was just, yeah, I was just gonna say I think that's really interesting the way you describe that. I go, well, isn't that how any really neat idea comes about in our field? Somebody and somebody are talking. You should do this, and then sometimes there's not that 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 oomph there. The, you know, it's I, I think it's the John Cotter build a coalition. You know, and and other people. A lot of times it's just, all right, one person's going to take the ball or take that idea and kind of see it to fruition, but it really takes a community and and there's no Mm -hmm. way to have done that. You know, so when I read it and you talked about that and the methodology part of it, I was like, well, that's really, really fascinating and is kind of just symbolic around a lot of our work is just, oh, one person can do it, but to really do it, it can't. Mm -hmm. And, And I think our history is definitely... Um, part of that. And I think our, our organization's history rests so much in the mental experience and, and the experiences that we have in the minds of a lot of the pillars of our organization over time. And, and as our field is very transient, some of that knowledge goes away for a bit and it may come back and you hear the stories when you're at the conference, but we know that an association is more than the event. You know, yes. it, it is so much more than that. But um, I really appreciate how you framed that. Um, and that's why when Tony started sending me files, you know, to get started, I'm like, we have these nuggets. Why are they not on the website? And I served on the EC and, and knew I'm like, all right, here's the page where it's going to go. So I got one of my former grads who's on the EC now. And, you know, was like, Hey, like, can, can we put these here? Like people need to read it and then go, all right, so we know people aren't going to enthusiastically open a one over 100 page PDF, multiple of them and start reading them. But like, let's give folks little tastes of our history that mm-hmm. make them go, hmm, like I want more like and, and have that thirst. So we've been 
integrating them into the SACS alerts, the monthly newsletters, and you know, pulling from your dissertation and the other to give folks some insight and, and pride into our organization and kind of where we've been and what we can learn from that. Because I think our, our organization and field is at a really interesting place in, in time and history and time and place. And um, I think there's some lessons from the beginning that we can kind of benefit from. Yeah, I think one of the things that I shared um, when I was honored with the Melvin Hardy Award was that, you know, history is so important because if you don't know that, it can be repeated. And why would you want to do that? Why would you want to spin your wheels and waste that time when you can learn from the past and be able to, to move forward versus again, saying, oh, well, we did that. Oh, well, we did that, you know, and, but yet each new group isn't aware of that. So how can you um, equip them to, to have those tools and have that knowledge so that history isn't repeating itself? And then you have those, those um, members that have been in the association forever uh, look back and go, yeah, we've done that. And, and, you know, they're at a point in their career that, you know, it's like, do, do I say anything? Do I not say anything? Is it worth me saying something? And so, you know, then I do think that some, sometimes people can become very apathetic. And the purpose for my dissertation was, again, to set the association up for success. And I think one of the biggest things was just finding um, that champion who could spearhead it because yes, you have multiple people that need to be active and involved in working towards the goal and be able to accomplish it. But you need to have that one person, that champion to be able to make sure that everything is, is happening the way that it should be happening. And it's in the order that it should be happening in and just overseeing it almost like, you know, the executive director position as far as the association. So um, that was one of the the biggest things that I did, I guess, thinking even more so about um, what popped out at me was, was having that person. And it may very well be the historian that is that champion. Um, I think so often the historian role is being seen as someone just to collect the information and file it away. And to me, the historian position goes way beyond that. That's that individual who um, has that knowledge and that information either off of memory or at their fingertips that will be very critical and useful for the executive council um, for, you know, be able to be there. And, and that was so nice to be at those meetings and be active and involved in it because that question could be asked to, you know, of the historian and you could either answer it then or say, let me look into it and I'll get back to you. But that's where then things could continue to roll and move forward in a positive way. Well, in this conversation really leads up to the next question that I had on my list. So, you know, you talked about um, taking your work and leading a special issue. So that was one way of distributing it. And Kristen, I love what you shared about it's let's get it out to the membership, you know, and know your history and those kinds of things. 
BJ, are there other ways that you went about sharing information from your dissertation? Did you do workshops or conference presentations? Um, and whether I did. Yeah. Okay, okay, great. Go for it then. I did. Um, right after uh, I had defended and um, had gone to, I'd gone to the conference and had multiple times to present it, was able to present it to the membership, presented it to, I did multiple with that conference, um, presented it to the foundation. They were the ones that I, I believe I presented to first because they funded it. They're the ones that backed everything. Um, I did it for the, uh, the officers. Um, so yes, did that multiple times. And then also uh, Dennis Gregory had, was the editor for the um, journal and had me come on as a guest editor to be able to uh, focus on historical articles that were going to be in that journal. And my primary focus was the preserving of the, the digital historical information. And so I tried to really, really focus on, on that to, because I thought that that was key. A lot of the other information was, is really, really important too. But I do think that, you know, the, because, you know, in my dissertation, I go through a lot of things, you know, you're using flash drives, you're using floppy, used to use floppy disks and hard disk and these miniature disks, and you've got the hard drive and you've got the external hard drive and you've got all of these different <laughs> options that you have, you know, you have pictures, you have, I mean, cause I'm a great example of <laughs> not figuring out, you know, you take pictures with a, a regular camera, you know, a, a manual camera. I'm, I'm now at a digital camera, but you have, I have tubs and tubs of all of these pictures is that now we're in the digital era and it's like, how, how do I, how do I back up my pictures? How do I save them? Do I print them still? Do I, you know, and so those are the same kinds of things that the association's dealing with is that, you know, what, what do you do with those things? So, yeah, I, I did present at the, the, um, the conference and then did the, the journal to share that information. So if someone is listening and first of all, they're getting ready to do their dissertation and they are relieved to know, maybe a little stressed, but relieved to know if nobody <laughs> shows up for their focus group, there's going to be a community of people that will help them mm -hmm. because there's always a way forward. And yes. they decide they want to build on some of what your dissertation and the other dissertation have done. What would be things, so you mentioned earlier, so what, what has happened as a result of the work that you did? whether it's more along those lines or other aspects of history, what, what ideas of interest do you have related to the topic? And then any words of wisdom or recommendations or anything like that that you would share? Um, of course, uh, you know, uh, be an encourager. Things happen. I mean, that's just part of life. Things, things happen. And you just kind of have to um, look at that challenge and then tackle it and, and move forward. I mean, you're going to have those days that you're going to need to like maybe veg out <laughs> and, and, and watch every single Downton Abbey 
you know, series that there is <laughs> and then get back on the horse again and, and, and start working at it. But, you know, I'm not quite sure how anyone would build on, on mine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think as far as if there were something to build upon, to be totally honest, I think Garth's dissertation could very much be built on because there's such a long period of time that has gone by that I think that 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 would probably be the recommendation if somebody was very passionate and wanted to do something about um, regarding an association, a professional association or SAXA, is that to really look at that or really look at you know, what would be something that would benefit the association or that you think would benefit the association and, and, and run with that. And, but I'm, I'm just not, to be honest, I, and if y'all know of something that you think could, you know, branch off from my dissertation, I would love to hear that. And I'm sure, you know, the, if there's someone in here that's looking at doing something like that too, they'd, they'd like to get some ideas because it was always nice getting those ideas. <laughs> so that you weren't coming up with them by yourself. So that's where, you know, like I said, I was very fortunate and blessed that those three gentlemen came up to me and just started those wheels to turn in as far as an idea for my dissertation and got me really excited because you do need to be excited about whatever you write about. You need to, you need to have that energy and that motivation to, to move forward. Um, but, you know, I, I, I do think that within that, you know, just looking at, the, the dissertation itself, just to go a little bit further, is that it, and you were sharing um, earlier that, you know, starting to get little nuggets of information onto the website, so the membership saw it, and that kind of thing, um, you know, it would be interesting to know, you know, because I went and looked at the website just to kind of familiarize myself with it, is that who, you know, were the past original SAXA Foundation members? Who are the current SAXA Foundation members? I think that it's great to have past presidents and um, current officers and that kind of thing. But I do think that it would be um, a very positive direction to go in to have more history on on the association's page. You know, because. Um, you know, who are the past historians? Those are people that you can tap into to be able to get that information. Um, uh, the set, you know, the, the history behind the SACSA placement exchange, you know, that evolved into the SPE. And that's where I had shared Paul Baird. You know, I remember going to Atlanta to look for a job, you know, and Paul Baird was the face and the person to go to when it came to looking, you know, for a job. And, you know, um, you know, who are those key people that are in those those positions and who are the lifetime members, mm-hmm. you know, um, looking at at that, you know, as far as because I do think some some people can kind of fall through the cracks because they leave the association, but it would be nice to recognize them, you know, as a lifetime member and being able to kind of share more of that. So I've kind of gone all over the place with <laughs> with my thoughts because I'm just not quite sure <laughs> how somebody would build on my dissertation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and sometimes somebody else sees what you've read and, and is like, Ooh, what about this? What about this? You know, I always hear mm-hmm. from a lot of faculty that 
when you get to your chapter five, sometimes that is a weaker chapter because you're so done and tired, you know, with it. But I think mm-hmm. in reading yours and, and what you've shared with us today, it sparks ideas where like we're, as you said, in terms of the digital age, you know, and things like that. And I know in moving, I uncovered stuff that I found and I'm like, what am I going to do with this disc of photos? I have no CD-ROM drive, <laughs> like, you know, awesome. And yet these are really important memories and, and everything like that. And I, you know, I know we've got, um, you know, that with, with Saxa and, you know, our own institutions and everything like that, but, you know, we, we go, okay, wonderful. So a, a value of sustainability, mm-hmm. you know, is, is something that we cherish and, it is also a cost savings for the association to say not print our program books. There goes an archive item in a way that, you know, was a, okay, let's save this and let's categorize, you know, so that way you, you know, like your yearbooks back in the day, yes, so you yes. can go through your yearbooks. Well, now we don't have that. And our, our service providers, it's not always as easy as just download the PDF and print it and, and go forth. So we have to think about things like, all right, how are we going to preserve it? And just like our institutions with, you know, such a fun term of business continuity, um, that when someone leaves the job, how do you make sure the next person actually has all the files they need to continue the work and, you know, get off the treadmill and run the marathon and, and take that role to the next level when it may have existed on your little, your personal cloud or your personal hard drive. Mm -hmm. And we may say Mm -hmm. it needs to go on, you know, to the university or colleges, or in our case, an association, but what if we don't get those things and how do we make sure that, you know, kind of like a student org, we switch every year in a lot of our positions or sometimes every two, but how do we make sure we're getting copies of those things so that way we can retain them? So to me, I think if somebody has a a passion for history and um, different ways of archiving things in a meaningful way. I know we, um, Melanie and Tony and I are going to connect with Bowling Green and the folks there to say like, how does this work now? And can you offer some suggestions to us? But if this is perhaps somebody's kind of undergrad interest and love and passion, I, I think there's a space for it because we're, we don't necessarily know but something that also comes to mind in this time and age in when in professional de- development dollars, they've never been growing on trees, but now they're really not growing on trees yeah. is okay. Does, uh, you know, we look at some of the costs of attending in person, some of these larger conferences and whatnot, and they may have a ton of value, but okay, does SACSA offer an opportunity? I read some of towards the end of your dissertation with some opportunities of enveloping folks in not only into the profession, but into the association. And is this now a time for SACSA to bloom again, you know, when it comes to possibly be more affordable? I know our leadership is always thinking about what does it cost our grad students and new professionals to come and and knowing that we're a generalist organization, Mm. how do you make the plea to your supervisor, this is where I should go, you know, this is where my dollars should be spent when every session may not be like in my case about assessment, but I can make that connection and I'm so grateful to my supervisor, shout out to Lisa Bona, you know, for supporting my continued, you know, involvement and attendance because it does make sense because I support all of our areas in student affairs. So I can make that pitch really well, but it does Saxa. Is this a time where it can really shine? And I think that could be something 
to, to be able to study, you know, and kind of further build on your work and some of the nuances that kind of make Saxa really special and also the, the reason for its founding and the niche it was uh, filling in the field at the time. I think too, because it, it is a large document, I think that, you know, just looking at um, the results and recommendations, you know, that's, that's one of the things is implementing guidelines and deadlines. Because when we originally, all the research that I did on top of the information that I received from Ann Bowers at the time, who was at Bowling Green, I'm not sure if she's still there or not. But it, that's what came into, you know, the final paper was having all of that information there. So it really, I, I said, and I'm a very meticulous person. I'm very strategic oriented. And those recommendations were set in place that it's really easy just to kind of a checkbox. And so, you know, I, I hope that that would help equip equip you as you're taking over the position of historian is just revisiting those and looking at those recommendations. Um, because, you know, with the, and, and it, I have to kind of interject this part of it is having been out of the field for um, a few years, I, I just think, and this is purely my opinion, I think it's really sad that what I'm hearing is that professionals, new professionals, graduate students are, it's kind of like we've taken multiple steps. I say we, I still feel like I'm a part of student affairs, um, have taken so many steps backwards, it sounds like, in, in that professional development is key in learning and growing and improving on skills and get basically recharging your batteries by going and, and learning even more. I mean, again, Don Gehring, if I had not, I mean, reading his book and then getting to talk to him and actually asking him questions about certain things. I mean, that is, that's like having a professor there at your fingertips and, and being able just to gain whatever information and knowledge you can from this professional. I mean, that is extremely valuable. And so I, I hate to hear that, that, that you're, you know, that student affairs, that people are having to, to deal with that again. Cause I can remember, you know, at the very beginning stages of my career, that that was something that was going on. But then throughout it, I, I just didn't see that or experience that myself. I mean, hey, when I moved to the West Coast, you know, the West Coast is not a part of Saxa, but I stayed active. I paid to go to Saxa out of my own pocket to stay active and involved because I knew ultimately that I was going to go back to the Southeast. That was how important the association and being connected was. So I just, I that that's... That's hard to hear. I hate to, I hate that y'all are having to deal with that. Well, it's interesting too, because it's, um, it's both a matter of connecting with people, but even developing the competence to be able to go up to someone and say, Hey, yes. can I talk to you a little bit more about that? Those are skills that, um, sometimes people struggle with, you know, there's lots about, students who aren't comfortable talking to a faculty member one-on-one -on -one, or, you know, how's that going to play out in the workplace then when the conversations mm -hmm. um, need to happen and 
you know, it might be my conversation that needs to happen, but I don't have the skills to start it. So, um, I, you know, this could go on for, and maybe it should, maybe this is a multi, you know, 14 part mini series in the podcast. Um, but I do, I, I do want to respect your time. Um, cause both of you, I'm sure have other things going on in your lives. Well, I'm having fun. Okay, <laughs> good, fun. Absolutely. <laughs> well, let me kind of open it up with the last question. Are there other things that either of you want to talk about? Um, or maybe BJ things you thought that I might ask that haven't come up yet. So just sort of that, this is the podcast version of other duties as a sign. So <laughs> what, what else would you like to, where else would you like to go? Um, whether yeah, it's well, I'm, re- I'm reading your stuff. notes and or my yeah. notes from your questions just as like, Oh, you know, because I, I have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this so much and, and could probably keep talking. Um, but, you know, one of the things is, is I just think it's so, so important for the historian to be able to dive in to the documents to be because the way and, and I will give you an example, three different things, three different things is that because I was able to dive into all of those documents, read all those letters, every single thing. And again, I told you, I'm more of a qualitative person where those those things, when I'm reading, things start popping up. You know, the themes just are there because I'm seeing the same name over and over and over again. And one example of that is like, for instance, Dennis Gregory. I really didn't know this, But because I was in the archives and reading so much, I was seeing how much he was doing, what, you know, committee he was on. I mean, I kept constantly seeing his name come up and I'm thinking, wow, this individual should be recognized. Mm -hmm. And so I had all of this information, all of this data that then I nominated him for the Melvin Hardy Award because I'm like, he you know, he needs to, these are the things he meets every single criteria. He's done all this stuff, nominated him. He won it, you know? And so if I hadn't have been in the archives, you know, who knows what would have happened then being at the university of North Alabama and being in the, and I had just gotten the archives. And, and of course I'm, that's my leisurely reading. See, there you go. See, it's just another example is that, you know, just reading all this, it's like a novel and you're going through everything is um, Pauline Gravely. She was the first dean um, at the University of, of North Alabama. And she was right there among me. I mean, around me, she, you know, and, and come to find out, I was reading all these things that she had done for Saxa. You know, she had already retired. I was and, and I felt it was important to, to recognize her. And not only in, in that way, I was also had the, the pleasure and an opportunity to, to, like I shared earlier, be able to do the whole entire process of building brand new facilities, doing every single part of it and working with everybody. And a part of that was with her being the Dean of Students, former Dean of Students, is that I invited her to the ribbon cutting ceremony because she was so instrumental on campus. And then when I saw that with Saxa, 
I contacted the powers that be on campus and I said, this is what she has done. And I would like for us to pay her way to go to Saxa. And, and I'm doing all of this together at the same time. I'm, I'm reaching out to the university to pay for her way to, to attend to Saxa. I'm also nominating her for a lifetime membership. And she got it. And I was able to surprise her with you know, her, pet, her trip completely paid for to be honored and recognized for her work that she had done, not only in student affairs, but the association. She absolutely loved it. And just just see the look in her eye and the excitement of being able, and she, there were other people there that knew her and she was able to, you know, catch up with them and talk with them. It was just such a pleasure and a joy to see and watch. But I wouldn't have known any of that if I had not gone through the archives. And then the last one, which, um, Michelle, you had brought up earlier was, you know, Stanley Jones. As I was, I didn't realize I was transitioning out of student affairs, but like I shared with y'all off script is, you know, <laughs> moved out to Central Florida. Everybody was loving their jobs and I couldn't find a job. <laughs> so it's just like, so one of the things that I wanted to do, thinking that I would moving to Central Florida, I would continue in student affairs and I could start working on it. And I just wasn't able in able to in that position was that I firmly believe, and this is just putting just a little bit of information out there for the next historian, the, the current historian, is that I truly believe that Stanley Jones, his name should take the place of the words, the New Professionals Award. And it should be the Stanley Jones New Professionals Award because he's the one that started this and he was a new professional. So, so those are kind of like my, my observations and things that, that, you know, if the historian can actually have access and can go through that just isn't a person that's collecting and adding into it and not being able to be hands-on. That was one of Oh, so many words to describe it. That was just one of the best experiences is to be able to do that and then share that with the association through my dissertation, through talking about it and just every single aspect of it was absolutely amazing. Mm. I'm just gushing here. <laughs> so, but it is, it's, it's just, it's that important. That position is extremely important. Well, and I think it's just testimony to the organization that, um, you know, we don't invest our emotions in organizations or institutions that don't lift us up. And so when I hear you talking and in your words gushing about it, I, <laughs> that's earned, right? The organization, which it's not the organization, but it's the members of. Yes, that has fostered something that in you, you continue to celebrate, like you said, even though you've been away in thinking about your work around this, all of the good energy that has come back to you and good mm -hmm. memories and good people and all of that. So, yes. Well, this has been wonderful. I, I have a wrap up question for you all, but Kristen, <laughs> I want to make sure 
Is there anything else that you want to add or any other questions that have come up for you before we sort of move to closure? No, I, I think it was the closest question that I was going to ask is just, you know, in terms of SACSA being uniquely positioned at this moment in time in history, you know, to, to be a place because I think it is so um, nurturing and supportive in the way that it is. We're always asking questions of how do we support our grads and new professionals, but see the unique opportunity to be able to interact with senior student affairs officers and, and the faculty are there and just the makeup of it. You know, the membership may change a bit over time, but that that undergird theme from year to year, I think is is always there and, and something that we can take advantage of and um, be able to, to capitalize on. I know I read in your dissertation about the ongoing professional development and that things aren't just the conference, it's things throughout and where we can see that rejuvenation throughout a lot of things, not just getting on an airplane or a road trip, which is so much fun, but you know, we know those things are a little more expensive now, but in terms of, um, the, the myriad of things I, I, I love, um, there's a quote from, um, Sanja in her book, uh, strategic guide to planning your career in student affairs. And she says that uh, the term professional development is almost a misnomer that it's the profession's job to develop you versus it's your job and you need to sit in the driver's yes. seat and, and, yes. take, and take ownership. And Michelle, I think you touched on it of reaching out. And I think during this time of a lot of, um, potential solitude and, and not practicing and exercising the muscle of impromptu conversation and things like that, like challenging ourselves to do it. So that way, when the opportunity to travel presents itself, or if you're in a Zoom and the speaker does breakout rooms, don't be one of the people to go, oh, nope, I'm scared and, and leave, <laughs> you leave the webinar and go, all right, this is an opportunity to meet somebody new. And, and I'm going to mm -hmm. take a chance, you know, on that, because whether you're engaging with the archives of um, artifacts or you're engaging with our, our living archives of our members, th those are opportunities to deep dive and, and have a lot of potential. So I just appreciate the way that you all framed that. Um, and, and lets us just to kind of go in and, um, don't be afraid if I message you about a perhaps joint proposal, I don't know who the powers that be would be to rename the award, but I like where your head is. So I, I feel a future collaboration with you. <laughs> I'm here. Cause I, 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 I hate that I wasn't able to, to do that earlier on, but yeah, I'm uh, whatever resource I can serve as don't hesitate to reach out. Absolutely. This will be the good what goes around comes around that the idea that came to you is going to come around full circle. And, and I think that's a, a beautiful thing that the organization could do. Yeah, it would be awesome. Well, thank you both so much for your time today. <clears throat> um, I, I was excited about this episode. I I, I mean, I love how it ended up, you know, this is a, a episode about history informing the future and that that's the yeah. perfect wrap up is now let's do more with the history so i love that um before we go today i do have one more question for each of you i like to close and this has definitely not been a downer episode so it's not like let's bring ourselves back up but let's build on that momentum um that we've built over the episode what is something that's bringing each of you hope right now can be 
professional, personal, you know, the weather, whatever it is for you. Um, but what's something that's bringing each of you hope? You know, I, I, I really looked at that question and just was like, wow, there could be so many different, different things. I mean, hello, I live in central Florida. I love the sun. (laughs) (laughs) It recharges my batteries, (laughs) but you know, it just all comes down to is that my, my hope is grounded in my faith and no matter the day, the month, the year, you know, it, it, strengthens me it supports me it encourages me mentally physically and spiritually and so i think that that's the biggest thing that that gives me hope no matter the circumstances great how about you kristen i love that um i would say in a typical assessment direction yay data um (laughs) I was in earlier today, uh, we had a, a division data discussion. So any folks that are members, which some are that were in attendance, it was a lot of fun, I think. Um, but we talked about a national survey and, and our data that we had collected. And, and some of it can be really intimidating. And I think imposter syndrome is a, a term that we talk a lot about in our field and kind of Um, saying like, okay, let's help build our confidence and confidence around interpreting data. But it wasn't even about the data itself. It was just the, when folks were ready to volunteer and share what they um, talked about in their breakouts of just how do we support our students and how how has this illuminated um, opportunities to realize every conversation I have with a student, I have the ability to have a quality interaction. And if they have any differences whatsoever, seen or unseen, whether I know it or not know it, how I connect with that person can make a difference in their life. And I think again, around that mental health piece, I think that's good, not only for our students, but for us also, you know, in terms of the interactions that we have, whether we see that and engage with that student again. um, I, I just think that hope that even though it feels like the two and a half academic year that's never ended, you know, and the exhaustion that's there and BJ, I love the faith that, you know, that keeps us, and that it's almost like I felt that behind our, our folks, whether it's, you know, spoken or unspoken, but there's still that, that hope there that they can do something, you know, and it's the old adage of the starfish story, uh, Vicki Trippany, she was also very involved with SACSA. She tells that story about like moving up in an organization and a lot of times when you're in those coordinator roles and, and such, you know, you're, you're meeting with a, a lot of students, but it may be one-to-one. And as you maybe move up, you know, you're being able to influence more starfish. It's the boy of the adult says, you know, you're only throwing back one starfish. You're not making a difference. And it's like, well, if I'm impacting one, I am. And, yep. and, and she just, she tells that story a lot better than I do. So it, just ask her to tell it for you. But, but I think it's just, we haven't lost that as professionals with our students, but I think also with each other, which like it, that was just kind of reinvigorated for me earlier today. That is wonderful. Well, I just want to thank you both again. Um, I really enjoyed learning with each of you, learning from each of you. And 
this will be a good episode. I mean, I, I do think it's important to have these conversations, not just about where we've been, because that's not, it doesn't exist in isolation. And kind of like when we help one student, there's a ripple effect. There's certainly a ripple effect from our history too. So um, this has been, this has been a good, I think it'll be valuable, not just now, but over time, I think this is something that um, the organization and we as individuals can benefit from. So thank you again. I appreciate you both. Today's Essay Today podcast is brought to you by SAXA, and we thank them for their support. Additionally, this show would not be possible without my producer, Jen Lowe at EAB. Thanks for your support and collaboration, Jen. And today I'd like to leave you with this quote from Pearl S. Buck. If you want to understand today, you have to search yesterday. My name is Michelle Botcher, and it has been a pleasure to host this episode. Have a beautiful day.